0: Hello and welcome to the I am a health visitor podcast. I'm Jen and I'm Amy and today we're looking at speech and language aren't we, we and are. the new I'm gonna say it wrong tool unless I'm looking at it. It's <laughs> I don't know how do you El- pronounce it? El- El- Elim? 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 Elim, I'm guessing. Okay. Elim or Elim, depending on which part of
1: the country you're from, I guess. <laughs> Whatever your preference, <laughs> we have a pronunciation for everyone here on this podcast. Exactly. We Whatever cover north and south. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the early language identification measure.
0: Yeah, which feels like it's really needed. Um it's interesting. I know. I know. We'll probably get onto it mm-hmm. later on. But I remember having a little bit of training around this. Some of the the cascade training that IHV had done around this yeah. last year, and um, and yeah, no, it was um, it was interesting to give that real backup because I think it's an area that we possibly haven't really fully covered um before in speech language
1: the so far yeah no i don't think we have really we've done a couple of episodes on speech more generally but i don't think we've done one uh, sorry more specifically like specific speech issues but i don't think we've done one yeah kind of general so speech Stammer particularly was yeah yeah but but this is a, a tool that would be used universally hopefully i don't know i think you had the thought to perhaps give a view of where we are now in terms of like speech development assessments yeah. and so, what tools we use at the I moment i mean i think
0: the, well, yeah, I mean, obviously the universal tool really is the a s q isn't it, yeah, and so at the moment, we're using these sort of five questions, i mean, looking at the the two year review um mm-hmm. uh, which I think is especially what we're what this tool considers because yeah. um we're beginning to think about school readiness and um sort of social awareness and things, and so and the questions are so basic or they're very basic but also very narrow it feels like everything's a yes sometimes or no mm. and there's not any room to really <laughs> give a lot more input if you don't want to give more input mm. if you know what i mean yeah so I mean, looking at these questions so we're talking about um yeah without showing him does your child point to the correct picture when you say show me the kitty or ask where is the dog
1: that's the asq um, isn't it
0: yeah. Mm. And then does your child imitate a two word sentence? For example, when you say a two word phrase such as Mama eat, Daddy play, Go home, What's this?
1: Yeah. Does
0: your child say both words back to you? Mm-hmm. And then there's this sort of the understanding direction. So without giving clues or pointing or using gestures. And oh my word, how difficult! Can Literally that, be that
1: question. So many times I've you had to be sit like, "Sit on
0: your hands."
1: Um, so that wasn't really. Yeah. That was following the point. <laughs> yeah.
0: Why, why, while sitting on your hands, yeah, and yeah. you do? <laughs> um, and so it's like, yeah, put the toy on the table, close the door, bring me a towel, mm. find your coat, take my hand, get your book. Mm. Um, and the, the difficulty is there'll often be families who they'll go, oh, well, they don't do those, but they'll do this. yes, And it's then that How thing of, you oh, God, do yeah, mark Christian. off or not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like, you know, if you point to a picture of a ball, kitty, cup, hat, etc. And you ask your child, what is this? Does your child correctly name at least one picture? Um, mm-hmm. And then the question about, does your child say two or three words that can represent different ideas? Such as, see dog, mummy mm-hmm. come home, kitty gone. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and And you're not to count word combinations that express one idea. Such as bye bye, all gone, all right, and yeah. what's that? The inclusion of what's that feels a bit weird because that's that? quite a kind of. If yeah. a two-year-old says what's that, I'm quite impressed
1: at that's, that's you know. Of I suppose of that is by, well. I suppose they're saying it isn't joining two words together, but it definitely feels like joining two words together to me. I see yeah. bye bye. I get. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's one word, isn't it? Really. Yeah. But yeah. I suppose the point but, is the joining concept. Um Yeah. Anyway, we could argue over what's that, but Yeah. I was
0: gonna say, surely what's that joins the, the uh joins I would say the so. concept of yeah. what being an item and that as in this, this specific item. You know? Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Anyway but
0: um, the difficulty I often had when doing the ASQs though was yeah. that you'd often have the child would completely be silent. (laughs) Or the child would tell you their whole life story and you'd be like, okay, within two minutes, I don't even need to cover these communication questions because you're telling me everything. But more often than not, they would be absolutely silent and you'd be having to talk to the parents about this. And these questions are so to the point, with so little guidance around them for us to really understand fully what they're asking yeah, around yeah you know how to how to then talk to a, a parent especially possibly a parent who maybe doesn't have english as a first language or just doesn't really understand isn't quite so engaged with their child or, yeah. development yeah um it doesn't really give us any tools to really stretch that and engage and really assess properly how well they are doing yeah
1: well the questions are very very specific aren't they i think that's often a criticism yeah. like you know if they're not yeah. specific and, and quite it, americanized that's another qu- problem people yeah, have with the asq yeah. yeah and
0: i don't think these questions really where some of the other areas give you a really strong basis to be able to make onward referrals yeah this is not enough for a speech and language referral no no you have to then go through a whole further assessment yes to
1: to make that further referral in. Yeah, well, I think um, the big problem that they're kind of saying there is, from this, so the Public Health England are the people that have produced this early language tool, and the big critique they have of the ASQ is that it's not sensitive enough. So with a tool, we look at sensitivity and specificity, um, sensitivity being how many does it pick up of all of the problems so does it pick up everybody who has a problem um or does it miss people and they want it to be more sensitive they they say the asq isn't sensitive enough it misses too many people basically um yeah so they were looking for something that was more sensitive um that, that picks up all of the that doesn't let any children fall through the gaps which you can see happening by having you know, ticking the boxes on the ASQ but actually there is an underlying language and communication need there that hasn't been identified um, you've definitely oh, yeah, no, seen definitely. that in practice well, you know, I've seen that yeah. happen I've, I've, I've seen it
0: personally yeah. I've seen it with um, Miss E, my daughter oh of course and yeah. I knew there were speech issues and it wasn't yeah the the nursery nurse who did her two year review kind of was a bit like, Oh no, it's fine, she's doing all right mm. and I had to I and mean, we have the wherewithal to self refer into speech and language services mm. um and yeah and and then interestingly enough only enough with my son um similarly I, I didn't have Concerns. I could kind of see that there was steady progress, mm. but his nursery had concerns and advised me to check with mm. speech and language. And again, with the two review, it was all seen as that like he was doing okay. Okay. And um, but then I actually used that the other way to go when I think he is all right. And yeah, I I had uh, by that point I was health visiting. I knew from my own assessment he wouldn't meet threshold for yeah
1: services, and lo and behold, he chat's away yeah absolutely and I think actually that's an important point that you raise with the design of any kind of tool or any process for assessing development we're always treading this tightrope aren't we between kind of accepting that language develops very differently for different children and not kind of wanting to medicalize things that are a variation on normal um, and not cause undue anxiety Um, from parents while at the same time trying to help with early intervention because, you know, we know that poor language or poor communication skills is a real bad starting place for children And, and it's an opportunity for us to kind of address some of those inequalities that obviously health visitors are passionate about addressing and as children start school, if they start with poorer language, we know that their outcomes are generally... Poorer, and it has a really significant impact. Of course, it does because you know it impacts everything, yeah. doesn't it? Communication. If you can communicate effectively, yeah. you can communicate your needs, your emotions. You're less likely to struggle with emotional regulation and those types of problems. And then, you know, that's a behavioural thing. It impacts on your interactions with other people. You know, learning and all of these things are all connected to communication. So it is yeah. vital, and then we do we do want to intervene as early as we can to help the people that really the children that really need it um but yeah. equally it's not wanting to be too alarmist because like you say a lot of children do develop differently with their language their language just comes slightly slower and and that's fine and then they get there and they chatter away you know so it's yeah it's that difficult tightrope it, really with language yeah. well it's that thing i suppose with a broader
0: tool you then have a broader a broader range of what normal is and what okay is Mm. with the, with the way of being able to fine tune those sort of the guys who maybe aren't where you exactly would expect them. You then have a clearer guide saying, look, this is where they should be at yeah, and ideas with how to help support them and things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say it is, I think it's broader in some ways and not broader in, in other ways. Let's kind of see as we go through the tool yeah. and what they're actually proposing, um, you know, to see kind of what they're whether whether you think that it achieves that really, I suppose. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So the the Public Health England document. So I've read a few documents around this now. What I would say to start with is they haven't published any research on this in the sense that there is no journal article, no peer reviewed piece of research so they're they're saying this this is research-based and evidence-based um which okay they've done a significant piece of research that involves five pilot sites and all the rest of it um and that's clearly been very carefully thought through and very well executed you know from what i can see of their report um but that's not been published in a public forum that's not a peer reviewed journal article that you can go on anywhere and or i can't i certainly can't find it if it is i know i'm pretty certain it isn't um so what they've published it as is a, a public health england report yeah um so they've published the full report then there's an executive summary and there's also a guidance document that goes along with it um and they're all got slightly different targets so i've read them all um so i think i've got a feel for it really um, and I'm just going to try okay. and give you an, a, a brief view of what it is they're proposing. Um, so essentially they're saying this is an addition to the two-year review. They want this to be implemented up and down the country everywhere as an addition to the two-year review. Um, okay. It, in, for all children? For orphans, universal. Right,
0: Yeah, cool. so this is
1: a universal two-year review edition. Um, it's a new tool that they've created as part like the research was to create the tool in part and then partly to pilot that tool so initially when they designed it, it had five sections which was language milestones um which is a kind of some questions about the sort of similar to the asq questions and some of them were slightly different but those types of questions around right. like have they reached those language milestones that we're looking for there was a vocabulary list yeah. um so are they are they doing these words are they saying these words um and you you literally count the number of words that they are currently using themselves spontaneously on that list family history and social risk factors section um and then there's a health visitor observations section um and parental concerns section. And then they did essentially what sort of was a factor analysis on those five sections, and each item within those five sections, and they looked at the sensitivity and specificity scores. So, you know, I said, they were trying to get a more sensitive measure that was detecting more um, children, essentially. so that's, that was their main goal. And they were kind of balancing that with the specificity, which is obviously the number of false positives you pick up. So, like, you don't want it to be too sensitive and then be detecting a whole load of children with actual no problems. Yeah. See what I mean? So you want it to be both. You want it to be sensitive and specific. You want it to be sensitive enough to detect the children with problems, but not so sensitive... And you want it to be specific enough to know which of those children actually do have problems instead of detecting a whole load of yes. don't. Yeah? So in yeah. there, they're looking at, you know, you have to kind of err on one side of the, or the other, really. And in their analysis, they've erred on the side of sensitivity very much. So they're right. erring on the side of picking up more problems and not missing anyone rather than not picking up somebody who might need help. Which you can totally see why yeah. they've chosen to do that. Like that seems oh, yeah, a rational no, thing to do. But obviously has implications yeah. in terms of service delivery, which I think we'll probably come to. Um, but so following that kind of analysis and when they were looking at the sensitivity and specificity, they narrowed it down. So the actual final scale that they've ended up with, the, they've got two. They've got the extended scale which involves all of those sections and they've got the shortened scale which is just the um, vocabulary list and the health visitor observations so the right. shortened scale is ba- is literally what it is, is a list of words, does your child say these words and um, a list of five or six items I'm going to pull them up Yeah, so it's got a list of items, which is the vocabulary list, that's one section. Um, And it's items look, so, you know, the list, mummy, buy, no, ball, cat, you know, those types of things. And then it's got things like uh, rip, shake, gentle, fast, uh, wet, things like wear, after, much, need to, all, if finish. So there's a mixture of kind of conceptual words as well as hard object words, um yeah. and greeting words or interactive type words like hello and things like that. Um emotion words, they've got happy on there. There's a there's a quite it's fifty words in total. Um Okay. And you're looking for what you're looking for on there is eighteen. So they, oh, right. they essentially pass that section if they're saying 18 of those words or over. So 18 oh, okay. out of 50. So you're not looking for them to be saying all of them by any stretch. okay? No. And
0: this is, don't forget this. But again, it's that thing where we're, we're needing to look at parent report on this,
1: aren't we? Because I'm guessing we're yes. not going to be able to... that is parent report. Yeah, yeah that is re- parent report. And it, there's a few kind of important caveats with it where they're, so they're sort of saying, for example... Um, if the child has a different word for this that they use consistently to mean that thing, you don't count that. That's not a tick.
0: So, for example, when I was reading
1: this list, one of the words is ouch. Ouch or ow, like if they've bumped themselves, yeah? So I've got a two-year-old, she's 25 months old, and she doesn't say ouch. She says (laughs) (laughs) stumble-bumble. So she'll say, mummy, I had a stumble-bumble. Hit my head or whatever but she doesn't say ouch she'll say stumble bumble no. um but i she would fail <laughs> well, that's it you're that getting one. marked down yeah, you're like getting it. marked yeah, down no tick. Yeah. no tick for you miss no tick for you
0: so she wouldn't get that
1: one um because they're literally looking at do they use these actual words and the other thing they say is um it's not can they repeat it so if you say to them the sentence in the yeah. in the assessment and they repeat the word back that's not what they're looking for they're looking for it to be yeah, used I, in context meaningfully so that's why you really are reliant on parent report here because there's no way you're going to yeah. get these 50 words like heard you might hear some of them I don't, but you know you're not going to yeah, hear Yeah I don't
0: I don't I can't imagine there are many health visitors or nursery nurses that haven't come across a case of echolalia before Yeah and whereby you're there thinking something's really odd and the parents are there going no they've got an amazing vocabulary yeah, they and they're just not even realizing but...
1: and the child as long is long as is, i say it first, the words yeah factually. yeah yeah. So it's it's meaningful use of words, which we know is important, obviously, in language acquisition. So that's the word list section. So that's the first section on the shortened version of the questionnaire, the version that they settled on after doing all their analysis. Um, and the second section is the health visitor observations. Now, this is a list of six section, or five questions that are yes or no. Um, okay. And those questions are things like... Observed communicative intent. So the child means to communicate something verbally to the parent or carer. So they've deliberately gone over with an intention of telling their parent something. Have you seen them do that? Yes, I've seen them do it. Or no, I haven't. Yeah. Um, The second one is speech mostly intelligible to parent or carers. So the parent understands most of what they're saying. Doesn't mean you have to. But the parent (laughs) understands it. Yeah. Observed them putting words together. Um, and observed turn-taking in communicating. So that's quite central, obviously. Mm-hmm. What I do like about this one that perhaps I would say the ASQ doesn't do quite so well is that it really focuses on speech and language as a communicative, interactive thing. So it's, it's talking about yeah. the interaction between the parent and carer and the, the function of the language more than just are they able to say words. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does achieve that bit, um, which is good. Um, And then the fifth question, I had to read about 10 times, but I know from reading the actual research paper that they worded it differently initially and that that wording was confusing for people. So they've reworded it. Now, I do not think they've achieved clarity with the rewording, but you tell me what you think. Oh, really? Okay. So the wording is. Does the child understand what is being said to him or her when the parent or carer asks them something which is which is not obvious from the context?
0: <laughs> I was right with you up until that final bit.
1: When the parent, please or the carer me they
0: give a couple of examples. Asks
1: them something which is not obvious from the context. Yeah. So, please tell me they give a few examples. So, yeah, there's a guidance document, and obviously, there's training around this tool as well. So, nobody would be expected to just implement this tool cold anyway you'd have training from reading the guidance document I haven't been on the training so I can't speak for the training but from reading the guidance document and from reading the initial version of the questionnaire I think what they're getting at there is does the child understand the content of the words that you're actually saying without clues or gestures or contextual understanding so you know how sometimes you'll say to them um, can they follow a simple instruction, like if you tell the, if you tell the child, um, go and get your shoes please, can they go out into the hallway and get their shoes, without you pointing at their shoes or telling them that it's their shoes, right. and they'll say, oh yeah, yeah, they do that every morning before nursery, you know, and then you kind of drill down yeah. into it and you think, mm, are they actually doing that because they've understood the language, or are they doing that because they know that that's part of the routine that we do every morning before nursery, yeah. So, what they're trying to get out there is something that's out of context, something bizarre that you wouldn't normally ask them to do. Do they understand it? So, you know, I don't, I don't, it's a hard one. And I think what they're saying with the health visitor observations section is they don't want you to be testing the child, they want you to just be sitting back and observing the interaction. Now, that one I think would be yeah. hard to understand or to see, to be able to answer that accurately without introducing a test. Yeah. And I think you might have to do something like you know say to them, or say to the parent. Or do you might have to engineer a scenario in your review yeah. to be able to answer that question properly. Um, but that's yeah. fine. It's
0: really tricky because I was thinking almost like having a you know, observing them at some sort of stay and play might be helpful. But then you sometimes get where the kids are really independent, even at two years old. Would go off and leave the parent behind, <laughs> and the parent yeah. would have to. Go hi, I'm still here at the yeah, end. Yeah. Or you, or from the point of view of parents who are feeling a bit shy, a bit
1: uncomfortable, anxious, yeah, just a, a private place. What,
0: yeah, uncomfortable is the perfect word. Um, and yeah, and just how easy that is. I mean,
1: so where the review takes place is definitely something I've got on my list that I want to talk about because I think that is something that perhaps they haven't. Well, anyway think that's something which is definitely worth discussing, <laughs> let's say. But yes, um, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> so they found when they did the research and they've done their numbers. As I say, not peer reviewed research. So in terms of the stats, we don't have any it's difficult and I really wish they'd review they'd published this properly. Um I don't know why they haven't, but anyway, um they've they've compared so their gold standard, the way they know, um whether the scale was accurate or not. Because obviously, you're going to do this scale on a bunch of kids and your only way of knowing whether they have a speech problem or not is the scale you're using. So how do you know whether it's picked up the children that have a speech problem or whether it hasn't, other than following them longitudinally or something like that? So the way they've got around that is they've implemented another scale um, called okay. the Preschool Language Scale UK oh. 5th Edition. yes.
0: Have you come across other before? So that's the one that had yeah. Well, oh, no, I've I've literally got it up on my screen at the moment where I've been ah, looking at our, uh, See, I I have I I might not have chance to do much reading beforehand, but I read during the podcast and things.
1: Awesome. So yeah, so that's um Essentially, they're saying it takes about 30 minutes to complete and it's normally completed by a speech and language therapist. So the impression I get, although I haven't read the scale myself and I've never seen it used, I don't know. I'm not a speech and language therapist and I imagine if I was, I would know of it. I don't know. But it seems to be something which is um, more um, time intensive and more specialist than the scales that we would be expected to implement at a universal screening level. So... Their hope is that this would be a, you know, I suppose if we had unlimited funding and unlimited time, it would be wonderful if we could have a speech and language therapist doing a universal assessment on every child using this PLS. Oh, but gross, obviously, yeah. you know, we live in the real world. So we have to have some kind of screening tool which does a good enough job of getting close, close to... That um, level of accuracy at detecting problems, and then we then would then look into it more and refer if needs be, and that kind of thing. So they used that as the comparison point, and they did. Um, they had eight hundred and ninety-four children, and four hundred and three of those children also received this PLS scale. Okay, so when they looked at those four hundred and three, they found that um, only six were missed by their new scale which is wow yeah that's amazing yeah so only six were picked up by the pls but not picked up by this other scale when they did it with the asq the asq missed 31 blimey So the ASQ actually only identified 65% of the children who's had a score that was below the 10% threshold that they set on the PLS. Yeah. So it only picked up 65% of the children that they believe it should have picked up. No, So this is much more sensitive. Now, what I would say about that is, that is wonderful. However, it also picked up 108 children Who didn't have a problem, according to this PLS?
0: Right, that's a bit tricky, isn't it? So you see what I was saying—a big number about the balance between
1: sensitivity and specificity here.
0: Well, it's just that balances to what is the next step, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah.
1: So, good question.
0: Interesting thing of. uh, Yeah so the next
1: step that and that's they're saying that this is very much an initial assessment it's just the first stage and the second stage is a conversation between parent and practitioner which in theory would help you to sift out some of those false positives okay yeah. so and they're saying that that conversation would they i mean they're expecting one hell of a lot from that conversation can I say from having read that guidance document Yes. a lot from that conversation um, which is fine yeah. you know we, we're health visitors we're good at our jobs and we're good at having conversations yeah. you know that's yeah. alright with that the, the
0: difficulty is though that but, the, I mean mm. unless they're going to give us more time for a two year review thank you you, you have if you're lucky 40 <laughs> minutes to do this is one aspect this is like this is the issue that we constantly have with, with breastfeeding and infant feeding support, isn't it? Okay. Whereby it'd be fine just going in and doing that and I mean I am discovering that I can happily spend an hour and a half, two hours yeah. just talking about infant feeding.
1: Yeah.
0: And and then it's like, oh, but actually I've got everything else to do at the same time as yeah, well. Yeah, which is not realistic role. in a health
1: visiting context. So No. Okay, so let's just talk about what they're actually proposing and then we'll come back to our thoughts on it because I I, I feel like we were on the same page because I totally agree with you there. Um, so they're <laughs> yeah. saying, okay, so they're saying the next stage of the assessment, conversation between parent and practitioner, it's going to cover things like parents' concerns, any behavioural and attentional issues. Oh, I didn't mention the last question on the health visitor observation scale um, is actually to do with attention. Uh, which I really right. welcomed, actually. I thought was really helpful um, and yes. very practical. Yeah. And it's got three um, different categories, if you like, and you're supposed to select one category, okay? So the first one is fleeting, flits from one thing to another. So we've all seen that a lot, yeah? yeah. Where yeah. the child yeah. just cannot <laughs> hold their attention on one thing and they're all over the place and they're buzzing around the room. Yeah. Um, The second one is single-channeled attention can't easily be shifted. So they're interested in one thing and they're interested in that thing. And that scores one. And then accepts adult direction when playing scores one as well. So those two are both variants of kind of an attentional... um, different stages of kind of attentional development for children, but not something that would present a problem necessarily in terms of language acquisition. So obviously, if a child yeah. is able to look up from what they're doing, chat to an adult, and then look back down, then at, at the same thing that they were interested in before, then obviously that's a more advanced level of attentional development. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. But it's still yeah, kind of although... engagement with that adult in terms of their language. Okay. Also, is there another
0: category for the guys who the opposite of fleeting, who are really focused but almost can't be interested... will only follow their own agenda and will only do what they want to do. So, you know, like, Good the kids question. we've seen coming in for reviews where they will spend an hour or, you yeah, know, or half an hour sorting out cars into a particular order or... I had it before where I one of the rooms I used to do my reviews in had a calendar I think sometimes it was you it had been used in a nursery or something yeah um in a children's center and they came out and spent the whole time just going through these cards with the months of the year January February March April, putting them in the right order and everything yeah but could not be drifted it could not be kind of encouraged to come and do something different
1: yeah so that's a really good question and I don't really know the answer um, from what I've read and what I would say is the guidance document says this, okay, the final observation focuses on the child's attention. Do they just buzz around the room, fleeting, or do they focus on one thing or toy for a period of time, single channeled? At this age, many children continue focusing on something even when the parent or carer is talking about something else but some children are able to switch their attention between the toy that they are enjoying playing with and what someone else is saying and then switch switch backwards they've responded and that there's categorizing as accepts direction okay so i suppose the child you're describing would be a single channeled attention if they're very very interested in paying attention attention to one object for a period of time but it's quite difficult to kind of direct their attention or um yeah engage with them to switch their attention to something yeah. else yeah so they're quite self agendered i suppose now obviously being self agendered in their play is a different thing that we might be interested in from a social communication perspective yeah so i yeah. guess it's this is all forming part of your your observations and your assessment isn't it so I suppose what I would say is it's good that that attention box is on there because that's not something that we get from the ASQ at the moment so
0: yeah that's that's a nice thing
1: to see that there Um, and to to see that recognized as a barrier to language and communication I think that's something that perhaps some parents haven't paired up in their mind attention and communication yeah so that's quite useful in itself um Okay, so then they're saying then um, that following this conversation between parent and practitioner, the child might then require further support or input. So if the child's been identified from the tool as requiring further support, and after your conversation with the parent, you still feel this child needs support and the parent feels they need support, um, then the next stage is an intervention of some kind? Um, Uh and they're proposing offering tailored support to that child around and that that being responsive to their level of need so obviously if it's a low level of need and you think that it can be addressed quite easily with a few simple strategies um then we can we can approach it that way or if this is something that's more complex that's going to require a different level of intervention, then you might be looking at a speech and language referral um, or there, yeah. there will be a middle ground there as well. What I quite like yes. about this intervention that they're proposing, what well, I say quite like, what I find interesting about it is that they're proposing two different approaches to the intervention section, OK? Uh-huh. Um, now, they're saying the level of tailoring needed um will be dependent on the enablers and barriers that the the family have so things like okay. um their capability so do they have the physical skills Um, Required? Do they have literacy to, say, share a book with the child? Do they have the skills to follow a child's lead in play? Do they have the knowledge to be able to choose appropriate books and activities? Are they able to kind of, looking at behavior change and um, implementing interventions, are they able to decide on what they need to change to achieve a goal, choose the goal, regulate their own kind of action plan and implement it themselves independently? Right. Um. Yeah. Do they have the motivation to change? Do they actually feel this is something that they need to do, um, or have specific intentions and goals? Um, not feeling too overwhelmed by it, not feeling embarrassed at trying a new behaviour. Um, yeah. And do they have the opportunities? Do they have the books and toys they need? Do they have access to play groups and drop ins? Do they have family or a social network to draw on? Yeah. So they're saying. You'd look at those enablers and then you would say the family either require a self-directed approach or a coaching approach. If they require a self-directed approach, then basically your role there is relatively small. So it's going to be around helping the parent and carer to identify something that they would like to do to support their child's language. And that might be by giving them some examples of things that might work. Um, they suggest lots of there's lots of references to the um, tiny happy people materials yes um, yeah. so they suggest using those videos and looking at them and thinking you know with the parent or carer what might they be able to implement yeah. or what might be useful it's for that those,
0: child. Are, th- those are those um, are those were made by the bbc weren't they yeah yeah yeah, which is brilliant. It's that thing where it is uh, actually a really. Great it's interesting well. how many little things come up with the the BBC like this.
1: Yeah, where they do
0: actually help support and part of their remit is to develop tools like this. Yeah. for use.
1: Well, I mean, it's I mean, and Public Health England from this document they have majorly bought into this tiny happy people thing. Yeah, and I did have a quick look on it. Um, I've used it a few times, but I did have a look on it when I was reviewing this document, and to be honest, I thought the videos were pretty good. Some of them are a little bit patronising and a little bit, I don't know, a bit cringy, I guess. But also, the messages are good. It is a kind of quite simple but quite nice, I suppose. Yeah is a tool. It's
0: tricky sometimes as well, though, isn't it? Because you're looking through it from your point of view as a parent and and someone who has just always been very engaged in child um, development. But it is amazing when you talk to parents and even some of the really sort of switched on guys who you think, you you kind of can't imagine not being able to work out how to do that. And they They do often seem very surprised with, "Oh my God, so that's what they need, and oh my God, they need well, to do that and
1: things I suppose if you've not i mean I suppose you're right i'm coming from I'm coming at it from the angle of having been around children you know all my life, and that sort of thing, yeah. so I suppose it's not just from a professional perspective but also in your personal life, isn't it if you've not really had much exposure yeah. to children and this is your first child, and no one else in the family has children and you've not really got much kind of to draw on then perhaps those yeah. those examples are useful to actually see it in practice with a video definitely you know. so yeah because
0: i think it's that thing where for a lot of people when they get to our sort of age we can't really remember toddler years no, things, sure. Yeah. quite even how communication started or what even you enjoyed yeah, yeah you might of of have
1: course little fleeting memories but nothing's going to be very clear and it depends on your relationships doesn't it with your own family and things if you've got that yeah. um, network to support you and things like that and you've got those those skills being modeled around you but i suppose okay so they're saying there's these two different approaches there's the self-directed approach which i suppose is for a parent that you feel confident will be able to implement the things and they have the tools that they need to support their child Yeah, in terms of their language acquisition. So there's a problem, you've identified a problem with the parent, with their language acquisition, but you think the parent is going to be more than able to be able to manage this themselves without much practitioner input. And then in that case, what you're going to do is discuss um, what they're going to do, provide them with the resources and tools that they need if they need them, and then um, they're going to go away and do it, and you're going to review it with them later. So, fairly minimal level of um, input. If you decide that you think that they need a more hands-on approach, then the coaching approach is that. So, that's things like um, help the parent or carer to record their goal and agree a schedule for visits to work together on this goal. At subsequent visits, watch a video with the parent or carer showing families trying out the chosen responsive behaviours in the chosen together time. Support reflection about what the families on the videos did well and what else they could have tried. So that's sort of like video interaction guidance, but without it being a video of them, it's a video of somebody else. Yeah. Which I found interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose, in a way, that might be quite nice because it takes the pressure off... The parent. ...them feeling judged, yeah. Yeah. And then they're saying model the behaviour yourself with the child and encourage the parent to join in the play if they feel comfortable... Then ask them to reflect on whether they think the chosen behaviour had an effect on how their child interacted. Um, If they were confident enough to have a try, ask them how it felt. Then set a goal for the following week. Um, Use a paper diary to record it, set reminders and repeat it weekly until the parent or carer is confident they are integrating the behaviour in their daily routines. Blimey, okay. Yeah. So... (laughs) So that's the second level of intervention. And, I mean, okay, so that's what it is. So I said to you that I was going to describe to you yeah. what it is, and then we'll talking yeah. about it. Yeah,
0: no, completely, okay. completely. We
1: will hold So that's what it is. So that's what it is. Um, now, in terms of how they're suggesting this is implemented in practice, because everyone now is listening, thinking, okay, but how and when and by who... So yeah. let me tell you what they're saying in regards to that. And when you say they, this is Public Health England? Public Health England, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all the time I've been saying they, that's what I meant. Yeah, Public Health England. Um. I think the IHV has been quite behind this as well. So the IHV, I think, are yeah, also involved so with this. Yeah, so I think the IHV did some of
0: the initial... I think they mentioned they therapy. trained let me
1: see yeah they've done some cascade of training and they they also spoke about it at their conference i think although i didn't actually catch that so
0: um last year and by last year i think they probably mean 2019 yeah i
1: don't think
0: there was much done in 2020 (laughs) Uh, for various reasons i'm trying to work out why it would have been so quiet in 2020 but Yeah. yeah Um, But no, they were commissioned by Public Health England um, and designed and delivered training to over 1,000 health visitors to cascade to their local teams. So I do recall some of my colleagues doing this training and then cascading it to us. Okay. um, In a very very similar model to their perinatal mental health training.
1: Okay. So, yeah, so they, as Public Health England, with the blessing and side along of... IHV, yeah? So, yeah. Okay, so the suggestion from Public Health England then is that following the conversation with the parent where you determine what the level of need is, the child could then be managed at a universal plus level with input from the health visitor or maybe referred to SALT. It's about the right level of intervention for that child. Okay. So they're suggesting the initial ah. assessment would take place in the universal two-year review, and then the further conversation and the intervention would take place at a future co- appointment, which, by which stage, you're under UP services by that stage. So anyone okay. who's picked up from the universal two-year review, bearing in mind how sensitive it is, yeah, would then have a follow-up appointment in which you would have a conversation about their needs. Now, for me...
0: So we're estimating about a quarter of children are going to be picked up it's a on lot having further needs. Yeah. So okay, and because how how big a caseload numbers right now? <laughs> mm-hmm. So right. <laughs> and they also, say in this, in this, what, what do what should what do the nursery nurses and the staff nurses that we have on our team and are often amazing do? do. Because yeah. they don't get to do this bit. Right.
1: It? So you're you're starting to so I think let's get into this now then, Jan. Let's get into this conversation because I We're have some. are gonna have issues to it's, I do yeah. Yeah. have some issues. And my issues are with how realistic <laughs> with, with this or just generally? Oh, generally, lots of issues, but particularly we Okay, Let's cool. just talk about these ones, shall we? Because otherwise we could be here for a while. Oh, okay. Um, we could do another episode about your issues. Oh yeah, we'll do that. Don't <laughs> save that for a later date. Tune in for Amy's Issues. Future <laughs> podcast That's right, we could follow it up with Jen's Issues. It'd be grand, you know. Basically therapy. What we're talking about is recording therapy sessions and putting them out. Um, okay, so... They say that they're not aiming to increase the number of referrals to specialist services. However, there's no real acknowledgement within that document of an increased pressure on the health visitors or the health visiting team more widely. So they're saying they don't want to increase increase referrals to specialist services. So therefore, if you're not increasing the number of referrals to specialist services, what you're saying is that health visitors can can absorb this work. And... (laughs) Look, look, I, first of all, want to say what I think they've designed is a good approach. I'm on board. I think it sounds really good. I'd love to implement this as a health visitor. I have, however, yeah. never worked in a service, even the really well, um, healthy service with good caseload numbers, which I've worked in most recently. Even in that service, I cannot see capacity for this. no. For doing this the way they're describing doing it. I just... I, yeah. I do not... I, I, I'm I, struggling to read the manuals and read the guidance documents and then envisage realistically how that is implemented now without significantly more funding.
0: Yeah. Well, also, it's that sort of thing where even by doing... Even if you're someone who gets to go and have a half day or a day training on this... yeah it's then that ongoing support of actually implementing it yeah. and it is that thing of you know, doing it and then going okay off you go then yeah and there's no chance to be observed doing it or to have any feedback on yeah. how
1: well you're doing with it or refresh your training um, and how is that training then yeah. sustained over the longer term so there's the training I mean, and how it's that's it's always needing initially
0: yeah i mean it's just well it's a general need with so many things in health testing, isn't it where you mm. always need clinical supervision to the point of actually having someone supervise you clinically mm. which i know some people would be like oh god no we don't need that i don't want that but there's plenty i should think who were like god yeah that'd be amazing that'd be so reassuring sometimes to have mm. someone watch us do something and either pick up on things that we're not doing and give us that little kind of now, come on, you know, you should do it this well, way. Well we live and you learn, do don't we? Sometimes well. another
1: person's perspective Exactly. Is yeah.
0: Or even to have someone say, Oh, I really like the way you did that. <laughs> mm. I might do that myself, sort of thing. You know, it's um Having the capacity for all weird, those things you it?
1: described, Jen, would be wonderful, but I don't know of any oh, service. God, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no. So there there's no, no real completely. acknowledgement of the extra workload that they're putting on um health visitors by suggesting that this is the way it should be done and I think there is an extra workload that is undeniable now look what I'm saying is and I don't want this to come across as if I'm just like poking holes and I'm saying no we don't want more work we don't want more work and that's absolutely not what I'm saying what I'm saying here is the need is there the parents and the children have the need and that need is valid and is absolutely Correct, and the correct place for that need to be addressed is the health visitor. I couldn't agree more. I'm on board, yeah? The bit that my reticence comes from, what I would hate to see is for this to be rolled out there as this is what the health visitor needs to be doing, and it just become another thing that the health visitor feels they're failing at because they yeah. they actually realistically can't do it. And I don't think there's many health visitors out there who would say, I don't think this is warranted, I don't think this is necessary. Yeah. I think every child with speech and language problems is being picked up in my area, and I don't think there's a problem. I think everyone would agree. Like, we really want to be doing more with these children. We really yeah. want to be doing this really yeah. intensive level of coaching support with parents but realistically the only parents I can think of where I've actually had the capacity to be able to do that level of coaching support has been my CP families or my child in need families, my really high level safeguarding families. Uh, In those cases, sometimes I'm able to make time for weekly visits where I'm able to go around and help them learn about play, interaction, those types of things. And I absolutely love doing it. I love doing it. I wish I could do it every day, but with everything else we have to do at the minute and the funding the way it is and the caseload numbers the way they are, I just don't think it's possible. And that makes me really sad. I feel.
0: Yeah, I I agree completely. And I worry almost that we're we're potentially being set up as a service to fail. That's
1: it. It feels like. So that they can say, oh,
0: we put all this effort into researching this and it's not working because the health visitors aren't doing it properly.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's a very similar. It.
1: It's disappointing. It just.
0: Yeah, completely. Mm. It's like being handed something lovely but then having you know, it's like I don't know, it's like being given, I don't know, a voucher for a thousand pounds to spend in Harrods (laughs) and getting to Harrods and realising that everything costs at least two thousand pounds. And so you're just you're you're still completely out of pocket and feeling even more disappointed Mm. and stretched in every direction. Mm. Um, And, yeah, it's... um, And it's really worrying because, especially in the last year or so, so many of the, the sort of... That kind of second tier of speech and language support, at least in the area I was working was done in children's centres, yeah. in um, groups and things. Yeah. And it was almost a prerequisite where they had to have almost gone already to a group yeah. at the children's centre before even being able to move on to referring them to yeah. speech and language. have seen that Especially thing. because actually the workers at the children's centre, where they were running the groups, they had uh, several weeks to be able to make an assessment of the child yeah. to see any progress, yeah. to then make a more detailed referral in. And of course over the last year that's gone to pot. And yeah. I mean we know that sort of these virtual things for a lot of kids with regards to school haven't been effective. Let alone if they've oh, tried to do virtual great. speech and oh, language yeah, no. things for the three to
1: four year olds
0: that's gonna have been, madness, been
1: really difficult. I I would love to hope that this comes along with a resurge in funding for health visitors and I do think there is an element of political will around that at the moment. We've been hearing a lot of noises from the IHV around how health visiting is being put back on the agenda and we are going to get more money. I haven't actually seen it translate into anything yet and I suppose we're all quite sceptical. With the history that we've had I think it's understandable that we would all be quite sceptical of that. Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, so I have a feeling he probably
0: doesn't then. Yeah. I've got a feeling he probably doesn't rec- listen to the podcast. But um <laughs> Tim Tim Lorton, yeah, who's a, a Tory MP who's been very involved yes. in 1001 critical 1001 1001 days. days yeah. I remember when Dave Mundy took me to um House of Commons for um or House of Parliament yeah. for the 1001 critical days, yes. APPG yeah. in 2015 yeah. and i recall tim loughton there saying about how we were just pushing against an open door and the funding was right there we just had to push against <laughs> this open door it was so readily available
1: hasn't and really it transpired has it let's be honest <laughs> no no and then on against a background of cuts that we've been suffering over the you know anyway let's not let's not get too kind of doom and gloom about it but i think that that's probably realistically the way a lot of health visitors are feeling when they're faced with this because it's like you say an excellent resource that they're not going to be able to do um, and it's going to be another yeah. stick for people to beat them with to say why haven't you done this properly and why haven't you done this well? Yeah. And also for you, like, I hate that feeling when you're in practice. You're beating yourself with that stick as much as anything else. You know that oh, you yeah. didn't do the best yeah. job you could. You know that you could have done a better job for that child and family. And yeah. that's the hardest thing for your emotional well being is knowing yeah. that you could have done it better, but you didn't. You couldn't. Well, I think the worst thing is in
0: practice. You then get to the point where you're either well, you, you can't sustain yourself long-term if you're having those feelings. No. And so you start
1: to get to the point where you detach yourself yeah, from it, yeah. don't you? And that's where you get compassion and, fatigue uh, and burnout and all of those horrible yeah. things that a lot of people yeah. are suffering with at the moment. Definitely. So yeah funding for it uh, and and amongst that i want to pick up on what you said earlier jen about um our colleagues uh-huh. so nursery nurses and school nurses and uh, not yes. school nurses nursery nurses yeah. and staff nurses that are working within health visiting teams and I think in this document, there isn't really any real recognition that nursery nurses often carry out most of the two-year reviews. And I think, uh, again, every yeah. service I've worked in, that has been the practice. I've never worked in a service where the health visitors are doing all of the two-year reviews, never, ever. Yeah, no. Um, and in fact, no. in their study, they actually found that health visitors only did around 30% of the reviews, which, to be honest, I was impressed they were doing 30%. Was, that sounds like a high number I to was going to say, um, yeah. But this was an area where there was quite high index of deprivation across the five sites so possibly you know the health visitors were doing the upp um which might make up a higher proportion perhaps um but anyway there's no discussion of the fact that 70 percent of the reviews in their study were being completed by nursery nurses and there's no implicate discussion of the implications of that in terms of use of the tool differences in the implementation differences in the training no discussion of the fact that it might then therefore be a different person with a different skill set perhaps and a different just a different person that's doing steps one and steps two and three um it's not clear who would do which step beyond basically just saying, oh, the health visitor will do all of the steps.
0: Yeah, I think it's a bit of a kick in the teeth for staff nurses and nursery nurses not to get this recognition. Absolutely. And I think it's bad enough, bad enough that often parents don't appreciate the different roles within a health visiting team. So in clinic, often they'll always say that they've seen a health visitor when they might have seen a staff nurse or a nursery nurse. Yeah. And no wonder... No wonder we. I know we complain a lot about, and part of the reason we're doing this even is to raise recognition of health visitors. But then beyond that, we need to raise yeah. recognition of the nursery nurses and staff nurses as well. Yeah, because I'd be feeling pretty cross if, if even I was the a IHV,
1: nurse
0: this. Yeah, if even IHV and Public Health England don't recognise what they do and the contribution they bring. And by doing it like this, they do make it sound almost like they're there for. Why well, do know, you know what are like, they there for? The donkey work. Almost like the bits that we don't want to do. Well then which then it's... is utter rubbish. Without our nursery nurses and our staff nurses,
1: we'd be on our knees. Literally. I'm not clear from reading this what part public health England feel could be done by a nursery nurse. Because I'll read you some of the things yeah. it says about who does it in the in the handbook. So I've I've kind of been reading it. So it says it is anticipated that steps one and two, so that's the assessment step, number one, and step two being the conversation with yeah. the parent or carer. So it is anticipated that steps one and two are carried out primarily by the health visitor. And then it also says in the document, while it is recognised that a number of number of different professional groups may be working with families, the ELIM and intervention needs to be overseen by the professional with the greatest oversight of the family context and we consider the health visitor to be the most appropriate person to carry this out. They consistently Mm. say the review should be carried out by the health visitor or by the EYP under supervision of the health visitor. So really even within the document they're not clear about who's doing what. Is it saying all of the interventions should be done by a health visitor, is it saying some of it should be done by a nursery nurse and some of it should be, like, step one and two should be a nursery nurse and step three should be a health visitor? In which case, yeah. that also doesn't back up their own plan of how to deliver this because their plan of how to deliver this was step one to be done um, in a universal setting and then step two and three to be done at a separate appointment where you've got more time to delve into the issue a bit more and get into interventions. yeah. So what? The, you're going to do three appointments then, with step one and two being nursery nurse and step three being a health visitor, and then how is a health visitor going to implement an intervention to something that a nursery nurse has done, or the other way round? Like, yeah. it's just bonkers. Yeah. How can you? I I don't see well, how also, that fits with it's all... it. it no. Either it means an entire redesign, which is fine if you're going to fund that, yeah, and if that's the right way to do it, but. In their study... Nursery nurses carried out seventy percent of the reviews in their research. Seventy percent of the yeah. reviews were done yeah. by nursery nurses, and they're not saying those reviews weren't good enough or that it didn't work. They're saying this is the goal. This no. is what we're aiming for. We want to implement this. We want to roll it out. So you can't, with one hand, say seventy percent of the reviews were done by nursery nurses and that we want to revol- roll this pilot out because we think it was really successful, and then with the other hand say, oh, but it, they all have to be done by health visitors. That's not rolling it out. That's not rolling out what you tested for a star. Um, No, yeah. And also, you're saying they could be done by an early years professional under supervision of the health visitor. What do you mean by that? Because they also talk in the the review document about um, working with nursery nurses from, you know, like the actual child's nursery, like their early years setting. Yeah. So when they say early years professional, there are they talking about the two year review that takes place in the early years setting? So they're saying they shouldn't be duplicating. They're saying this is one review. So well, I was going to
0: say I was beginning to think about how does this tie in with the much heralded integrated two year review? Yeah. So this is what this is. This does cross over. This does cross over a lot of the um.
1: The EYFS. Yeah, of course it does um, because it's all the same. We're all just talking about child development, aren't we? So, yeah, if, but it certainly yeah. should cross over. And I
0: think as well, it's like, and I think the nurseries often do have that big part because, as I said, they have that chance yeah. for that prolonged yeah. assessment, prolonged um, sort of engagement with the child and family to have a
1: more thorough. Um, and review and things I think, look, I think this document assumes the health visitor be the most appropriate person to complete the review because they say that they have the most knowledge of the family context which, if health visiting was working as it's supposed to if health visiting was the service that it's supposed to be if I was the health visitor I want to be every day in practice I absolutely would be the right person to do that review <laughs> Yeah. Because I would have a good knowledge of the family context. I would know my families. I would I would have an established relationship with them. I would have a rapport with them and I would know them well. So a lot of these questions on the review, I would be able to answer and I would be able to help to understand the family context and the dynamics and the wider family experience and what risk factors yeah. might be at play if you, had, if you had your but i think it's expecting yeah, if a had lot you your dream sort of from a 40 minute yeah. appointment for a two year review Definitely. where i've probably never met that child before i think it's expecting a lot yeah. of the health visitor to get to know all that detail
0: yeah yeah if you have your ideal case of 350 naught to four year olds is it 350 it's the dream case load, or 250
1: 250 i think it says is the dream
0: 250 so okay even easier then if you've got your dream case load of 250 0 to 4 year old 0 to 4 or 5 year olds yeah who you've known since birth
1: yeah or since since antenatal and you're the
0: one who sees them in yeah Yeah. and see see them in clinics see them for their reviews you're the go-to person for any help and advice then yes completely you'll probably be earmarking before you've done the job you're the ones that you're going to need to be referring on and getting that work in Absolutely. place
1: already. And bloody hell, I want to work in that service that you just described. And I think every health visitor up and down the oh, country God, yeah. wants to work in that service. Yeah. But that is not the service that we're working in. That is not the context no. that we're working in right now. So it's all very well writing yeah. things for an ideal world, but if you don't live in that ideal world, we actually look to Public Health England and to the IHV to an extent to actually support us in building Mm -hmm. the world that we want to live in and funding the service that we want to deliver it's no good just telling us this is what you should be delivering because this is the role that you have we all know that's the role that we want to have but with numbers as high as they are and staffing as bad as it is it's just not anyway we've said it a thousand times sorry i'm just repeating myself but the third thing I wanted to mention to just raise is that there's a slightly sticky section um, in the report that I found quite interesting when it was talking about oh, okay. um, the nursery settings um, and the communication with the, between the nursery settings and the health visitor. So, it talks yeah. all the way through about communication with professionals, and obviously assumes that that's beautifully streamlined and that we all know each other really well and we're all working together around this child. Which, again, as I've said, also, would be wonderful, would be great. But yeah, it's makes rare a big, for me. It also call a makes nursery. a big
0: assumption that all these toddlers and children are, are in going, going to nursery in their immediate home yeah, area yeah, yeah. and going going to nursery or childminder in the immediate area yeah. to where they live. Yeah. I know of a friend when I was in South London who worked down in Kent, mm-hmm. and she worked quite weird hours. Mm-hmm. And so her daughter went to a childminder just down the road from where she worked Very in sensible. Kent, sort of sixty miles down the road. Yeah, which was brilliant for them, but there's no way that childminder could have linked <laughs> yeah, yeah. up with their health visitor in South London. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and parents do have to make those decisions at times of choosing whether they're going to have someone close to home or close to workplace. And
1: some children don't attend nursery. And some children don't have Completely. a two-year review. I mean, yeah. there's, so, okay, so so there's, they're assuming that we have good um, working relationships with the nurseries and that we're communicating with them all the time around this child who, in reality, if this is a universal child children's review, there's a good chance they've not seen a health visitor since they were eight weeks old, possibly six weeks old. If the nursery nurses are doing one-year reviews and two-year reviews in your area, the last time that child might have seen a health visitor was six weeks old. So expecting the health visitor to have a good understanding and knowledge of the family context and dynamics and to know exactly what's going on in that child's life and have an established relationship with the childcare provider, I mean... Okay, so that's what they're saying for a start. And then they're also saying, um, so the key issue here is that the health visitor is central and accountable for this process and incorporates information from the steps above with what is known about the family already. So this is when we're talking about the intervention delivery and how this would be delivered in practice. The process needs to be seamless for the parent and one where the practitioners speak with a single voice and everyone needs to understand who is responsible for which element of the process. I couldn't agree more, but having read all these documents, I don't understand who is responsible for which elements of the process. I'm saying that as someone who's... And right. I know I haven't done the training, but in terms of having... It also talks about um, parental permission and consent for sharing information. Um And data protection. I'm just looking up that section because I thought I had it. Okay. Um, Of course, the process of the early years practitioner carrying out the ELIM will only work if there is an environment where the EYP is able to observe naturalistic interaction between the parent and child. It will also be essential for the health visitor and EYP to collaborate closely on who's going to carry out the review to avoid duplication or missing the review altogether. For example, the health visitor sends out the invite for the review to a child that doesn't attend. Health visitor then knows the child attends a specific nursery and would then contact the staff in the nursery to notify them and ask them to carry out the assessment. Similarly, EYP may admit a new child to their setting but express concern about some aspect of the child's communication development. Their first recourse should be to the health visitor to ascertain whether the review has been carried out. Now this is the sentence. Of course, this potentially raises data protection issues, but these should be resolved locally. (laughs) There is no technical reason why this should be problematic, but parents' views on such matters should be taken seriously and integration and trust in the settings and health visitor schemes is key to success here. So what they're saying there is There's no reason why data protection should be problematic there, but parents' views on data protection should be taken seriously and integration and trust in the settings and health visitor teams is key to success here. Well, hang on a minute. Because are you saying the health visitors can communicate... Directly with a child's EYFS setting without the consent of the parents or the knowledge of the parents? Are you saying there's no data protection issues with that? If you are saying there's no data Mm. protection issues with that, are you also saying that parents' views on such matters might undermine integration and trust in the settings and that those views are key to success? Well, of course they are. So yeah, I wouldn't contact That's a really a tricky one, really, isn't it? without a parent's knowledge, unless I had serious safeguarding concerns. You know, in terms of obviously we know about the rules of information sharing. There are there are circumstances.
0: Yeah, I was going. Well, I was, I was going to say it's like data protection. As far as unless it's a
1: safeguarding
0: concern, which I mean, I suppose in a, yeah, there are some cases where it's the you know, speech and language is a part of safeguarding concerns. Of course. But for general, yeah, we have to, yeah, we, we're, we're an opt-in, you yeah, we're a service that parents can opt out of. Of course
1: we are, yeah. We cannot. Perfectly within their rights you know, to not attend.
0: And it's that thing where actually it could be really awkward if the nursery start calling the health visiting team about a child who has actually already opted out of health visiting service. That could raise a real minefield because if someone gets in touch with that parent, it's then going to be the whole sort of, "What are you doing? Getting in touch with me? I don't. I've said I don't want to be in contact with you." Well, and and orbit whatever our thought, whatever our thoughts are about families who choose to disengage with us, um, we have to respect that to some of extent, and that doesn't automatically mean that they don't have their child's well-being. Absolutely at the heart not. Of, what of course, they are, it doesn't. They.
1: And Um, I mean, I can just see if I was a parent and I hadn't come to my child's two year review and the first port of call was for that health visitor to call the child's nursery. I mean, yeah, I would be a little bit questioning of that. I would say, well, hang on a minute, you know, and and for the nursery to call the health visitor without having spoken to the parent or you know i just think that yeah. you you're really on sticky ground there i mean we would hope that it would all go nicely and you would talk to the parent and the parent would say yes of course i don't mind you sharing with the health, with the nursery and the nursery would talk to the parent and they would say yes of course i don't mind you sharing with the health visitor and everything goes yeah. swimmingly and that's great when that happens but in a scenario where you can't contact the parent or the parent hasn't turned up to the review it might be then difficult for you to get consent mightn't it? so yeah I think the difficulty is, if we
0: wait for health visitor staffing to be at an ideal level for yeah. this tool to be implemented, it's never going to be implemented. Yeah. Um, we're never going to get there. So I think in a way, albeit that things aren't perfect by a long stretch at the moment, um, we have got a tool that we can see is more accurate than the ASQ, are more likely to pick up on children and families who are needing that extra support with speech yeah, and language. Yeah, which is good. Even if not a definite problem. Um, and we almost have to work from the point of view of, um, you know, using the tool, um, which doesn't add a huge amount onto the review we're doing already time-wise. No. It's quite a nice one. It's using our observation. It's evidencing um, concerns we may be having already with families and um and then being able to demonstrate that look this tool is sensitive it's raising this many more children we now don't have services in place to meet the needs of these families Mm. and then push that back upwards to commissioners to public health england to the department of health Mm. to then be able to say look you know we are using this we are doing our job we are identifying these issues yeah we need yeah the families we owe it to the families to have proper systems in place to support that yeah and I think it's always like we we need to do it that way round rather than at this point saying oh but there's not enough of us we need more help because they're not listening to that at the moment we yeah. need something yeah. more
1: demonstrative to get there with them I think you're right. That's a really pragmatic approach and that's probably the approach we're going to have to take. It's about trying to make the best of the scenario that we're in and trying to use that, hopefully, to bring about positive change for the families.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And it'll be really interesting to sort of hear from anyone who's in any of the pilot areas or anyone who's already using these tools in practice. It'd be amazing, and yeah, do get in touch with us. Yeah, we'd love to be able to do a few episodes of looking at what emails we've had in or contact we've had from you guys. Yes, that'd be and great. And it's so easy. We're on, we're on so many different platforms. Amy, <laughs> are we? Um, what
1: platforms are we on, How are. can these people get in touch with wow. their ideas and thoughts? So, we're on Twitter
0: at iamahv um and we have an episode coming up very soon that has been generated by someone who got in touch with us on twitter yeah so, so thank happen, you anthony though. anthony if you're listening that one will be for you <laughs> you'll recognize it um, we're on instagram at i am a hv and then we're on facebook we've got a whole facebook page of our own i am a health visitor <laughs> and then we've got our email address i am a health visitor at gmail.com um and yeah do get in touch because we love hearing from you guys do i really want to um, hear how this works yeah. in
1: practice so if you have experience of doing it i'd really love to hear from that and i'd love i think that would be an important perspective to feed in to this conversation definitely definitely
0: anyway we'd best be off the kids are back from school so yeah. i've got <laughs> swimming lessons to get to and uh, i'm sure you've got lots of toddler stuff to get to Absolutely.
1: as well yeah i'm sure there's a gruffalo that needs reading somewhere
0: oh indeed. lots of love to all indeed. of you thanks so
1: much for listening to us oh, as always and yeah again thanks soon.
0: and uh, definitely take care bye Watch for now up. bye